You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Yay. <laughs> he fooled you with that one, didn't he? I did. You did. I've hey, had a lot of people complain about the woohoo. It's time to change it up. It's Yay. 2013. Uh, my name is Shane. I'll be our host today. And just so you guys know, I'm sure that Mark Driscoll and Judith Smith listen to Perry's podcast Absolutely. every month. And so we're recording this just on the heels of mm. the Falcons' defeat of the Seahawks, 30-28, mm. to 28, last yes. second deal. Mm. Um, and it just feels really good right now. Well, you know, I'm going to say this about Mark Driscoll and Judah Smith. They're legitimate Seattle fans. I mean, they live in Seattle, um, but like, I mean, the, the bandwagon – just crashed. It was amazing. It was, I mean, there's so many bandwagon fans. There might even be one in the room. I'm just saying. Maybe. 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 So anyway, we have digressed, but we're going to move on because today's topic is really, really important. It's a serious topic, uh, actually. We're going to talk today about uh, what we'll just call the staff or a staff restoration process. And mm-hmm. when we talk about that, we're not talking about poor job performance. We're talking about mm-hmm. moral failures. What's what do we do here at New Spring Church, and how can we encourage uh, the church leaders who are listening to have something in place so that they can help staff who may go wayward um, during their ministry? Uh, but before we get to that, we want to make sure that everybody out there knows something cool's coming up in February. Unleash Your Leadership, uh, Perry's coaching network, uh, coming up in February. Perry, why don't you tell our listeners about that? I think there's only a handful of spots left. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those deals where we get together for about two and a half days, and uh, you know, I could I could go on for hours about this, Shane. But the I think the the first session, the first three hours we spend together, we talk about the health of the leader. And um, the thing you, the thing I know about healthy churches is they have healthy leaders. If you have unhealthy leaders, you're going to have an unhealthy church, and so. It's worth the time and the investment just to make it to this thing. Um, February 18th through 20th, 2013, all the information is at unleash.cc, and you'll see a button there that will take you to unleash your leadership. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's one of the best investments that a leader can make in his life or in her life and in the life of their church. Yep, and as we said before, I think there's literally less than 10 spots available for that. So go ahead, uh, right when you listen to this, push pause, sign up, and then come back. We'll be waiting on you. So let's move on to today's topic. I mentioned before, we're going to talk about uh, our staff restoration process. This is something that uh, we've had to use a few times. We've changed over the years, uh, but it all starts with the idea that there um, is a certain code of conduct, for lack of a better phrase, that staff... Uh, ministry staff has to follow. And so, Perry, with that, we know no one's perfect, but when it comes to staff ministry roles, uh, does a church need to have some behavior standards in place? Yes, I I think that the church does. I mean, we've got to have some um, boundaries. I mean, boundaries are incredibly, incredibly safe for us. Like, um, I think Andy Stanley did a series one time called Guardrails and talks about how guardrails are put on the side of the road to keep you safe, not to hold you back from having fun. And so as staff members of a church, like it or not, we're called to a higher standard. Um, we it, Listen, perception is reality, and we just can't get away with stuff that maybe a non-staff member could. And some staff members, um, I've noticed over the years, they get mad about being called to a higher standard. Um, but in my experience, it's usually because 
they have something to hide. Um, and so uh, it's it's just one of those things that's healthy. Now, I'm not in favor of legalism at all. I don't think you – if your staff code of conduct is 72 pages, you're probably right up there with the guys that killed Jesus, um, the Pharisees. But there do need to be some boundaries in place. No doubt. You don't want to go outside what the Bible says. Um, speaking of those standards, Perry, what are a few of those standards uh, that we can share with our listeners that are important um, and, you know, why do we find them important? Well, like, for example, you you can't get drunk. I mean, it's just uh, – and, and the alcohol debate uh, is really alive in the southeast. Once you get out of the southeast, um, for those of the listeners that are not in the southeast, it really is a, a big battle down here uh, whether or not a Christian can drink. Um, and, you know, there are godly people on both sides of that argument, but I th- it doesn't matter really where you stand on that argument – um, it is, I think we'd all agree, it's a sin to get drunk. And so um, we have a you can't get drunk policy. And, and you've you got to write that down. I mean, you, you've got to write that down. Um, another one is uh, oh, you can't have sex with outside of marriage. I mean, you can't, I mean, that, that's a no no. And, you know, that's a policy that we have to put out there because we have a lot of, um, you know, we have a lot of young singles that work on staff, and they've got to be taught to guard the purity bar because purity is not something that comes natural. It's got to be fought for. Mm-hmm. And among married people, it, um, it puts the bar out there too. Hey, you've got to fight to protect your marriage because nobody else is fighting for your marriage, and the culture is not fighting for your marriage. But that boundary has to be in place. And the other thing I've noticed, Shane, um, like it or not, it has to be clearly in place because some people go, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't. What, what you didn't? What do you mean? You didn't know you couldn't get plastered? And no, I, no, I didn't know that. So it's best to kind of go ahead and put those expectations out there. Yeah, I agree. We could go on and on, but I think our experience, Perry, shows that those two things you mentioned—sex outside of marriage and drinking to excess—are two of the big stumbling blocks for uh, staff members that Absolutely. we've encountered. There's other things, you know, substance addiction, pornography, uh, cheering for the lying, Seahawks. cheering for the Seahawks. Yeah. We'll run you right out of here for that. Uh, there is no restoration process for that. Mm-mm. But lying, cheating, I mean, there's, there's, all, there's all, all sorts of things. But the, the, the ones that are really difficult to deal with mm-hmm. are the ones you mentioned, Perry. Um, you know, in the last 13 years of New Springs history, we have had set, uh, some staff members that breached those standards. So just let me ask you this. As our pastor, as their pastor, how'd that make you feel? You know, it... It literally guts a leader um, to watch a staff member uh, choose immorality. Uh, I, some people say fall into immorality. Nobody's ever fallen into immorality. Falling is accidental. It's not on purpose. And if somebody is immoral, that's something they choose to do. But, you know, I've never gotten the news that a staff member chose a path of immorality, and I was like, "Oh whew, man, I've been hoping to get rid of that." You know, it's <laughs> it's not one of those things as a as a pastor or um, not just a senior pastor, but if you're a department leader or whatever, and you've got people that work for you, anytime you hear that someone has done something immoral or illegal, if you have a heart inside of you, it absolutely rips you to pieces, and every. Everybody out there that's that's had this happen knows the the hurt and the pain um, associated with something like that. 
Um, I'm curious, uh, you've been the pastor of this church for 13 years, and you worked in ministry uh, even prior to that for several years. Um, what kind of training, if any, did you receive at school or in your previous ministry roles on how to handle these kind of situations? Well, to be fair, I dropped out of seminary. Um, but um, s- seminary doesn't train you for this. Um, uh, college classes, for the most part, they don't, they don't train you for this. Um, this is not something that that the church even talks about a lot. And so as far as training goes on how to deal with a staff member that, um, you know, chose to go down the path of immorality or th- there's there's just nothing out there. I, I haven't seen anything. Maybe there is something, but there's just not a ton out there on training for this. How has our process of handling these issues evolved over the years. Well, you know, here's the deal. And I've, I was talking about this with a friend a few years ago. Um, every person on the planet at some point is going to struggle with some sin. Um, and you might be saying, well, I don't struggle with sin. Well, your, yours is pride, and that's the big one. That's the one that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Um, everybody's going to struggle with sin. In our church, for the most part, in our churches, um, we've made it somewhat safe to admit, hey, I'm having a problem in my marriage. Now, some churches you can't do that because as soon as you admit you have a problem, the church is only for perfect people, and so they'll throw you out. But church is supposed to be a place where you say, hey, I'm having a problem in my marriage. Um, uh, I might have drank too much the other night. I was at home, and you know, I had poured a drink or two, two extra. Um, and I was flipping across the channels, and I stayed too long at a channel, or um, I went to a channel on purpose. Like that that in the church for years was safe except for someone on staff. And because the church didn't know how to handle staff members that were um, doing things that they – listen, they clearly shouldn't do them. That's That's not even debatable. But – the, the church didn't know how to handle situations like that. And so what we did um, is as soon as somebody admitted, hey, I'm struggling here, or I did this, or I crossed a line here, the first answer was always fire them. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just fire them, and then, and then we'll deal with the fallout later. And so nobody could admit I'm having a struggle. Nobody could admit I'm dealing with this temptation. Nobody could admit I'm having a problem. There, wasn't a, there was a safe place for everyone in the church to admit that they were struggling, except for people on staff. And the, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, which I, I think that's Christians right there, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. In verse 2, carry each other's burdens... In, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Um, then he says in verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And so the Apostle Paul, if he's going to restore people, that includes church staff. So the goal when a staff member admits they're struggling with a sin or admits they've sinned, the goal shouldn't be you know, rebuke. The goal should be restoration. You hear a lot of people out there that use that word rebuke really 
oh, I look, somebody rebuked so-and-so, and somebody rebuked so-and-so. And what I've found in church culture is there's a lot more interest and boastfulness about the rebuke than there is about the restoration. Because if the rebuke isn't done with the hope of leading to restoration, then that's pathetic. Um, and so so for, for years... We did that. Somebody would mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm struggling with sin. We'd be like, you're just fired. You're just fired. And then, um, you know, you, Shane, you were involved in some of those discussions with our leadership team. And, you know, one of our campus pastors brought it up. And it was like, hey, man, what, what if we just created a safe place for people to say, hey, guys, I'm struggling with a sin or I've crossed the line. And the first response wasn't rebuke. It was like, can this person be restored? That that really does put legs under the phrase, we care more about who you're becoming mm-hmm. than what you're doing. And if, if we really do care about who someone is becoming, the goal is is always restoration. That's good. You know, it's it's somewhat disingenuous to to preach from stage that no perfect people are allowed or tell the people coming into our churches that it's okay not to be okay, mm-hmm. but then not have a plan for staff right. to, or for all of us, anybody, to have a process by which we can admit, hey, we're not okay either because no one's perfect. No, and, and right now, I'll guarantee you there are church leaders listening to this podcast that have staff members that are walking in sin or about to go down a path that they shouldn't go down. Maybe there's a church leader listening, and, and they're in the same boat. But they will never confess because as soon as they do, they know rebuke and they're out of there. They're not, they're gonna lose their job, they're gonna lose their income, they're gonna lose their dignity. I mean, we rush them up on the stage and rebuke them publicly. And the Bible says, the Bible says that some staff should be rebuked publicly. I am not disagreeing with that at all. But I'm saying the 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 intention behind it shouldn't be, aha, I caught you. Um, because the last I checked in the scripture, it wasn't Jesus running around accusing and saying, aha, I caught you. It was Satan. That's right. Well, you just mentioned that early on, uh, and this has been really an evolving thing for us, even as, as recent as the last few months, uh, where we went from somebody messed up, we don't really know what to do, so you're just fired, and we hope we can get you back in the fold and you not leave the church. But we didn't really have anything in place to now. Um, we have a written process, like mm-hmm. you said, with its heart uh, and accountability for the leadership of the church right. to be restoring that person. That's right. our first response. So tell us a little bit about how the process works for us now. Well, the, the process we have in place now, and you know, we'll probably continue to refine this, but um, this is what we've got written down, and I'll just read this straight out of our staff handbook. Um, if, if a staff member confesses, um, or and let me just say this, <clears throat> in my experience, if someone confesses to a sin, there is a much greater chance for restoration than if they get caught. Um, from what I've seen, and, and this could this may not be true across the board, but in every experience, if someone gets caught, they will always confess to the least amount possible. But if someone confesses, the um, the hopes for restoration are much greater. So if someone confesses, or, or if they get caught in either case, and they say, hey, I'm, I'm having a problem here, the first step is immediate suspension, um, with or without pay, 
um, and the determination of the time frame is based on a case-by-case basis, but usually we say 30 days. And when I say case-by-case basis, um, Andy Stanley said something one time that kind of resonates with us, that we value um, conversation over policy. That every time we're going to have a conversation about an individual rather than just going to a policy, because people that always appeal to the policy in every case are lazy. They don't care about shepherding Mm -hmm. and leading their people. Um, And so automatic suspension, um, with or without pay, usually without pay, because there, there are consequences to sin. And so usually we, we suspend people without pay. Um, second step is individual will be assigned to a shepherd, which is usually um, someone on SMT, um, our senior leadership team. We are, we are neck deep in this. We, it's not something we just assign to somebody on staff. It's a shepherd um, or usually somebody on the leadership team. Um, the third step is individual will meet with that shepherd at least one time a week for four weeks. So for four weeks in a row, this person that's either confessed or been have gotten caught are going to come in and sit down with us um, one-on-one for at least once a week for four weeks. Um, and then in week, starting in week two, it's dependent upon the person that is shepherding through this process, um, they'll be assigned a volunteer role, weeks two, three, and four. And we do that just to see if this person really is going to walk in humility Come in, submit, serve in a volunteer role to prove, you know what, I'm truly um, humble, I'm truly submitting, and I truly love this church, and I truly care about the vision, and I truly care about my role. I mean, it, a, a lot is said by a person in that step of, of the process. Um, the next step is the individual will be required to write a letter explaining what they've learned. And this is after four weeks. They write a letter to the leadership team explaining everything they've learned through this restoration process. Um, and we've, we've got another step in there that says individual may be required to go through an interview process if they wish to regain their staff role. So we would literally sit down with this person after a month, and sometimes we may say, um, hey, this needs to go another month, um, and or the shepherd will come in and say, hey, I don't think this person's getting it. I think... We need to terminate the position, but that's after 30 days at least of we're going to try our best to do what Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says. Or it's, I think this person needs their job back, or you know what, I'm not really sure. I think they need to interview again for their role. And we found that this process, what it does is it opens the doors and it allows for some freedom for staff to come forward because, once again, they get suspended and they get suspended usually, I would say, um, honestly, Shane, we've had to enforce this process now several times, and I don't think we've ever suspended anybody with pay. I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's always been without pay. But the goal, once again, is to get them to see if it's possible that they can get back in the ministry because some people did sin and some people did cross a line, but I'm not exactly sure that they disqualified themselves. And some people go, well, they got to go through an extended time period. And I'm like, well, Peter denied Christ in 40 days, less than less than 40 days later, Jesus had put him in charge of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure time frames are that biblical. I think it has to do with the heart. Yep. I, th- I think, Perry, one of the things, um, you know, that's important about that we learned over the years is this, that anybody prior to the process you just read through, that uh, sinned in some way and that we let go from staff, 
and we would say we want to keep you connected to the church, we want yep. to do this, but we failed in really create keeping community yep. around uh, that person. And so one of the important things about, number one, I want to say that your time, the leadership team's time, when you talk about a case-by-case basis, that means we, it, when this happens, we don't just slough it off. This is no. very important. This becomes the highest priority we have because we want to save that person. We want to understand what happened. And so the leadership team, along with whoever that person's leader is, is going to sit down and spend hours, most likely, yep. thinking, praying through what the next step is. And one of the important things about getting them plugged into serving is not just to see their heart, but keep them connected to the church. Absolutely. Because we don't want them out thinking they're out on their own, nobody's with them, they're sitting around because they're not working at this right. moment. And so we want to make sure they stay connected to the church. And so somebody's suspended, but they're not cast out. That's right. So a lot of this uh, revolves around doing that. And I love the way that you said that, that uh, you know Peter was re- restored within 40 days. And that's not to equate any of this to what he did. But Jesus said an example, hey, it's a heart issue. Yep. Do you love me? Are you ready to go? Can we say for- we forgive and forget and move forward because we see that in someone's heart? Um, and taking them through the process. So I love I love what we have in place, and unfortunately, we have had to to use this recently. But we're seeing the positive side of this. Yep. Yep. Um, let me ask this: Why is it important um, to have a written process in place for our church, and even beyond our church for any church? Well, you know that's a, that's a short answer. Really, it protects the leadership and it protects the staff. I mean, it's in charge. It, it's there for protection. Um, if you don't have a written process in place, you're not going to know what to do, and the staff does not know what to expect. And when people don't know what to expect, um, things can get really gray really quick. And even just from an employment standpoint, if you don't have it written down, you can't make these assumptions. Right. People have to be able to see what's required, and you need to have in place for your own protection something written down that keeps you in check on how you're going to handle this and yep. treat everybody fairly. Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Perry, we have had to test this new process a couple times over the last few months. How do you think it's worked so far? And just as the pastor, is there any difference to you from, say, five, six, seven years ago to when our first reaction was to let somebody go to now, hey, our first reaction is, hey, is it possible to restore this person? Yeah, I keep going back to the phrase, we we always say this about our staff is we care more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. And part of becoming closer to Jesus is learning how to walk in victory over your sin. And one of the things I've discovered about maturing people, not mature, because I don't think there truly is a mature, I think we're maturing. But one thing I've, I've discovered about maturing people is all of us have to learn to fight through certain levels of sin somewhere in the process. And so if we don't make that a safe place, especially for our staff, then how in the world can we say we demonstrate love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration? I mean, Jesus, I mean, good gosh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about he came to reconcile man to God. He came to reconcile. He came to reconcile. So as agents of reconciliation, yes, we're called to be evangelists, but we're called to... Um, take care of our staff. And let me just say this. This is not 
a green light for staff members to go out and to dive into immorality because there's no guarantee after you go through this process that you get your job back. There is no guarantee. Um, But what there is a guarantee of is if you're struggling with sin or you feel like you've crossed the line, we love you as a staff member so much that we're going to give it several conversations, several hours. And, and listen, man, we're a big church, but we, we still do this because we value people over the processes we have in place. And so um, if we can do it at, at our size, I think any church can do this. And I think churches should do this because, once again, Paul commanded us in Galatians 6, restore Restore, restore, restore. If the purpose, I'll go back and say it one more time, if the purpose of a rebuke isn't for restoration, then you're a jerk because you <laughs> run around loving to rebuke people. Yeah. Well, let's face it, immediate termination is the easiest decision you can make. Yes. Because it, it requires not putting any investment into the person. I love our process because even if the end, and this is, I'm glad you made this clear, just because we have this in place doesn't mean we're not going to let people go because no. not everybody's going to survive this. Mm-mm. But if you walk somebody through this process, you've invested time into them. It's a hard decision to let somebody go at that point because yep. you want to see them succeed. But you know you have to when you get to the end of it, and it's the right decision. And so that's why I love the fact that we've got something written down. We know we, it's a protocol we can follow. And if we do this, and, we st- and at the end of that, we know the right decision for that person in this church is to let them go, then at least we've walked that road with them with an effort to restore them. Absolutely. That's always the goal, restoration back into ministry. And, you know, Shane, it's highly possible that if someone sins or they're caught in sin, they don't want to go through the process. They'll just quit. They'll just, you know, we've had staff members do that uh, over the past, you're not, you know, not a ton, but we've had staff members that just absolutely run away. But once again, it, it comes back, I think it comes back to the heart of a leader. And if we're going to have a heart like Jesus, then the goal has to be Let's, let, let's really care about and shepherd these people. Yep, I agree. Well, hopefully this has been helpful uh, to everyone out there. If you guys have any questions about this, New Spring's willing to help at hello at newspring.cc. You can email us and, and ask for uh, help on this issue or any others. We'd love to help churches. Perry, before we sign off, I'd love for you to give our listeners any final thoughts you have on this subject or anything else. Well, my final thoughts on, on this subject are, are just keep going back to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, um, and, and fight it, I'm telling you, if a staff knows that their leadership is fighting for them rather than fighting them, there is a lot of equity there. And I'll just say this because it's a leadership podcast. Um, and I mean, I know a lot of leaders listen to this. We're looking, we're always looking for great staff members. We've got how many job openings do we have I right now? I would say minimum 25. Right minimum now. 25 job openings. You can go to newspring.cc, that's our website. And you can scroll down a little bit, and there's a little button called Jobs, and you can scroll through those. And if you want to come and work for a church that has a vision to reach 100,000 people and has a leadership team that will fight for you as an individual, I want to invite you to just go check it out and submit an application resume. I don't even know what you can submit online, but just, just do it because we're looking for some people that literally want to commit themselves to a cause called the church that's going to reach the world and absolutely make a difference. That's it. Please, we're looking for great people, and we'd love for you to be a part of the team. A-
men. Unless you're a Seahawks fan, and then you can just stay. You know, that's part of the restoration process, Shane. <laughs> We're going to take Seahawks fans through it, and that's I think true. maybe I'll, they'll come Seahawks out. Seahawks fans, ends. probably a lot of Seahawks fans can code web. Yes, we need lots of web coders. Yes, we do. So we do. We love the Seahawks. Actually, I, I, I'm man. I'm changing my name to Russell Wilson. <laughs> there we go. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you next month on the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Yay. Yeah.